I'd like to talk this morning about a kind of a summation of the situation that we all feel ourselves in. You know, the coronavirus was not expected. It kind of jumped on us. And the length of time that we thought it would be around is much longer than we thought. And now when we're looking, we're probably thinking it's going to be another few months before we have a vaccine and a real major turnaround in this. And this can really affect many of us in different ways. Uh, at first, you know, when the coronavirus was here, it was kind of like, well, this will be six, eight weeks. It'll be something unusual and we'll get over this and move back to the way we were. And then it kind of set in that we were going to have to have a new way of living, that we weren't really going to be able to associate and be close together the way we always have. And this virus is a little bit different than other viruses and it's very infectious. And in the end, we're all gonna end up having to wear masks and stay six feet away from each other and do all these things that we're not really, uh, that we don't really enjoy doing. And it makes a big difference in terms of being able to get together with other people. Uh, talking to many people, uh, they're much more familiar with their four walls in their house than they ever used to be. Um, a lot of stuff has happened at Home Depot because people are figuring out things they want to change in their homes because they're staying in their homes and they're looking at these things and lots of projects are getting underway in that regard. But one of the most difficult things is there can be kind of a COVID fatigue. Just I'm tired of all this and I just want to break out and go and be and push COVID behind me and let's get on with things. And I understand that a lot of people have that kind of feeling and uh, I have that kind of fatigue myself. You just want to burst through and, and get that put to the side. And a lot of times in life we face things that we would really not rather that they go on that way. We would really prefer that they go a different way. And one of the great things about our faith in the Lord is that the Lord doesn't change with the COVID virus. The Lord doesn't change with circumstances. He doesn't change with uh, political opinion. He doesn't change with a vote. The Lord doesn't change and that he is the source of all comfort. And I wanna to speak today on the Lord as a source of comfort because one of the things that COVID has really revealed is that places where people go to find peace and to find comfort failed them. They usually would have activities or the opinions of others or the gatherings together with others and they would feel some sort of reassurance in that. But in this time, they felt kind of an emptiness and it's caused them to examine what is it inside of me that really brings peace and brings true comfort. And the Lord is the one who brings true peace and true comfort. And everything else is really just a shallow peace or a shallow comfort that only lasts for a time and isn't very deep. <clears throat> this experience with COVID has taken some people much deeper than their peace could handle. And they just are stressed out about it. <clears throat> and unless situations change, they're allowed to be a bunch more stressed out about it. But you know, in the scripture, we find many, many stories and certainly the life of Jesus to tell us about when difficulties come along, what is it like to find comfort in God? How is it that God is the source of all comfort? There's one story about a lady that I want to share. Her name is Annie J. Flint, and she lived in, uh, she was born in 1866 in New Jersey, died in 1932. And she had a nice family she was born into, and uh, she was a, a very happy little baby, but about three years old, her mother died while giving birth to another uh, sibling. 
And her father was not able to raise her and put her in a home with, uh, with her sister. She was raised then by those foster parents. But in her late teens, she had just some really rough going and began to develop very severe arthritis. And it was deforming arthritis that would take your hands and put them into ways that you could not move them and your joints and your hands would be locked. And it progressed fairly rapidly and she ended up in a wheelchair and she couldn't move her arms, she couldn't move her legs, she could just barely move part of her hands to guide a pen. And if she wanted to be adjusted in a chair, she had to have somebody else come and adjust her and rearrange the pillows. And it would be something that for me personally, it would just be a terrible situation in life, something that I'm afraid I would be incredibly discouraged about, even depressed about. But Annie J. Flint was a tremendous Christian, and the Lord certainly dwelt in her heart. She knew the Lord as comfort. And she wrote uh, a hymn that we sing. She wrote a poem. And I'm going to share both the hymn and the poem. I think the words are just tremendous. And the name of the hymn that she wrote is, we know it as, He Giveth More Grace. And I just want to read the first verse and the last verse of that hymn. And it says, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, He addeth His mercy. To multiplied trials, His multiplied peace. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Now I'm afraid to say that would probably be a poem I would have difficulty writing if I was in her situation. Turned out that uh, she ended up writing some of her poems and writing some of her hymns and they were shared across the whole world and actually helped contribute to her livelihood to be able to stay alive. But this was a hymn that she wrote that has echoed down through the years and now everybody in all sorts of places are singing it and the background of it though is something that I had not known before. A woman tremendously, tremendously um, bothered and really a true invalid and yet her heart received grace up and above her situation, peace up and above her situation. She also wrote another poem, and the name of this poem was What God Hath Promised. God hath not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. God hath not promised we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He hath not told us we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the laborer, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. That was a tremendous poem to me. 
And I know that in the midst of times where we're having difficulties or things are not working out the way we want to, uh, I personally have a tremendous tendency to call to God and say, look, rearrange these circumstances. They're headed the wrong way for what I want to happen. And one of the things that God calls out to us is he wants to come and dwell and know us in such a way that he lifts us above circumstances, that our hope and peace doesn't rely on our circumstances or the difficulty or whether we're going to do today what we plan to do today or whether we have to change our day and maybe what we plan today won't happen for a long time. But our peace and our joy, he meant to be in him because there is such richness and fullness of peace and joy in him. And all these other kinds of peace and joy are actually just tastes or just a small amount of what's present in the Lord. And when the Lord came, he did a lot of things. And one of the things that he did was to rectify in our heart our relationship with the Father to make it so we could come through that veil into the Holy of Holies and look at the Father and know the Father. You know, in Colossians, in the first chapter of Colossians, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, sometimes you look and say, well, I wonder what God is really like. I mean, how, how is this that God's omnipotent? Um, uh, all, he's all powerful. He's all knowing. He is not constrained by time. What is God like? Well, God came in the form of a man. And the Bible says that Jesus is the image of the father. And that if we want to know how the father would act towards little children, we can look at Jesus and see how Jesus acted towards little children. If we want to know if the Father is concerned about the oppressed, we can look at Jesus to see that Jesus was concerned about the oppressed. If we want to know whether the Father cares for men and for women and for people in all walks of life, we can look at Jesus and see his loving heart and how much he cared for people in all walks of life. If we want to know whether God is a discriminator amongst people, preferring some or the other, we can look at Jesus and see how he came and was the servant of all and that he reckoned no man to be above or below, but he came for the lowest sinner. So it's important that we have that access to the Father so that we can see the Father, so that we can know him, because that's where the true comfort comes from. It doesn't come from circumstances turning out our way. Now, we've had a really good run here recently on the stock market. As a matter of fact, if you had started investing in the stock market in March up until now, or well, up until this past week anyway, if you had just been invested in the stock market, it really wouldn't have mattered what you invested in. You would have done very well. And a lot of people went, well, this is a great thing, and I feel wonderful because the stocks are working out right and my investments are coming home well. But then when the stock market took a turn this week and things went down, then a lot of people's joy just kind of dissipated with it and it went, whoa, whoa, wait, I'm losing a lot of money here. But that's a joy that's not anchored in the Father. And in 2 Corinthians, it talks about a comfort that is anchored in the Father. And I want to read two sets of verses from 2 Corinthians that talk about that. The first is in the first chapter, Verse 3 through 5. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort others who are in any affliction with the comfort that we receive ourselves from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. And then picking up in verse 8 through 10, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which, we came, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. So the essence of the scripture in Corinthians is to say, God is really the God of all comfort. The nature of God's love is comfort. And the scripture says that he alone is able to comfort us and that he can comfort us in a way that we can turn and comfort others with that very same comfort we receive from him. But if we're not directly connected to him, if we have a spotty connection with him, that comfort doesn't flow very well. And when we call into the Lord and say, well, my circumstances aren't really working out too good and I really need these circumstances to be fixed and I need to have peace until that all happens. And we give the Lord kind of a laundry list of I, 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 need, 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 and just tell him to respond, respond, respond. We have kind of a one way path to God that he's like a vending machine and he needs to get things in order because it's not fitting the way we want to do things. But that's not what God said. God said that he himself would be comfort. And that when he dwells within us and we know him, we will know him as comfort. But there isn't an abiding in the shadow of the Almighty that's partial. If we come close to the Lord, he will talk to us about what's in our life that's pushing him away. What's in our life that's not allowing him to be inside of us in such a way that he can be comfort. And he'll bring that to our attention. And he'll say, this is the thing that needs to be fixed. And I can fix it, but you need to give it to me. And we can't with one hand call the Lord close to us and with the other hand push the Lord away, resisting what he's trying to do in our lives. And so God is the source of all comfort, but we have got to be in him because he is that comfort. That comfort is not a manipulation of our circumstance. That comfort is the presence of the Father. Now, Paul went on to say in these verses that when he was in Asia, they almost died. He said, we despaired of life itself. Now, for Paul to say we despaired of life itself is a pretty big deal. I mean, he was beaten five times with 39 lashes. He was shipwrecked. He's had all sorts of troubles. And when he says he despaired of life itself, he had a pretty serious situation going on. But he said that God allowed them to go through that because it revealed God. It revealed that God is greater than death, that God holds life and death. And indeed, God holds all things. You know, sometimes our perspective is a very difficult thing. Uh, I remember the first time I went on top of Stone Mountain and looked out at Atlanta. 
and looked out towards where my house was. I couldn't find my house, but it looked out in all that sea of trees. But all of DeKalb County looked different when you're on top of Stone Mountain. There was also a good wind up there, so it was really fun to be there. But it just looked different. The perspective was really different. And when you fly in on an airplane and you're about to land and you're coming lower and lower, if you're in, approaching a city or you look down, especially at night, you can see these little tiny things. You don't look like ants. And they seem to have headlights because they're cars. And from, I don't know what it is, 10,000 feet, they just look like ants with a little tiny beam of light in front of them. The perspective at 10,000 feet is altogether different than standing on the ground. And sometimes this perspective is the kind of thing that drives us in terms of being concerned about things and about uh, having anxiety about situations. For the Father really does hold all things in his hand. It's really true that he knows how to work all things together for good to those that love him. But for those that aren't going to be close to him, there's very little promise. The promise of God is to draw you close to him. And as we are drawn close to him, we find that all the blessings in the heavenly sphere are hidden in Christ Jesus. They aren't in circumstances or things or pride or possessing or any of that, but they are in Christ. Now, God, from the beginning, knew that there would be two creations. He knew from the beginning there will be one creation that will be imperfect. And in that creation, there will be an opportunity to choose to follow after him. And he knew how long that would last. He knew it would be necessary to give up his only son. If I was God and it was going to be necessary for me to sacrifice my son to redeem a creation I was about to make, I don't know if I would make that creation, but he did. He made us, and he knew we were going to need to be redeemed. And he sent his son, who did redeem us, who made a way that we could come back into the full fellowship with the Father, for which we were made initially. But there's going to come a time when this creation ends. Some people think it's not very long. I don't know how long it is. It may be within 100 years. It might be within a year. I don't know. But there will be an end to this creation. In Revelation 20, it says that this heaven and earth will pass away. And behold, God will make all things new. And in this new creation, there is neither pain, nor weeping, nor suffering, nor hurt. There is none of that anymore because God alone reigns in this new creation. So God knows this is coming. When we look at the perspective, it is very difficult for us sometimes to look at a COVID and say, my goodness, we've been at this, what, seven months or so, you know, and this is a long disruption. Well, seven months is a long disruption for our daily life. I, I, I can get into that. But when we're looking at God, this is just a small twinkle in what's going on. And putting our hand in the hand of the Father, who owns all time, all time in this creation and all time in the creation to come, then that's where we want to be. That's where we should be. And it's very important that we take our lives and give them over and recognize that he has made way in this creation for us to know the peace and comfort of God and the freedom of God because of what Christ has done. You know, there's a great verse in Psalm 40, verse 2, that reads, 
He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And this is one of the things that the Lord does. He'll bring us up out of the miry clay, stuck. We can't get out ourselves. The more we muck around in it, it seems like the worst it gets. His hand is able to reach down and bring us up out of the miry clay. So when we say to the Lord, well, Lord, I'd follow you, but see, my situation's too messed up. My situation involves 12 people who don't even talk to each other. My situation involves family members. My situation involves unforgiveness. And these things on unforgiveness have been rooted for years. My situation involves bitterness and it's deep rooted bitterness. My situation involves depression. My situation involves many times I've tried and failed and I feel despair that I can't kick out of my life. All those things are just miry clay. All those things are just miry clay. And it says of Jesus, he brought us up out of the miry clay. That which would bind us, he broke the chain. You know, in Isaiah 61 are the verses that Jesus read that were the first verses Jesus read that described himself. He was in the synagogue. He picked up the scroll and he read out of Isaiah 61 these words. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so that they would be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And you know, as I look at this and read these verses, you know, there, there's a lot of really deep teaching just to come out of this set of verses. It always amazes me that this is what Jesus chose to describe himself. But really relevant to what we're talking about right now, Jesus said he, he came to proclaim liberty to captives. And we can let COVID be something that captivates us or we can be liberated over COVID because we're in Christ. We can let family situations, difficulty, despair, depression, finances bind us or we can come to the Lord to find the breaking of the chain and no liberty over those situations. We can be uncomforted inside, despairing inside, fainting inside, or we can reach our arm out to the Lord because the Lord is the source of all comfort and he will comfort those who need comfort. He will comfort those who mourn. We can be people who are discouraged or we can have the oil of gladness. Uh, you think about uh, a young calf just bounding out um, into a pasture. It's that kind of oil of gladness. The Bible said that Jesus had the oil of gladness above his brothers. And that same oil of gladness is opened up to us. And Jesus came to bring that instead of mourning. And instead of having a heart that complains to the Lord, the Bible says that Jesus came to give us a heart that would praise God. And he can take a, he can take a, 
uh, heart that is complaining and make it to a heart of praise. And only he can do that. He can change complaints to praise. You know, one time the Lord got on me a little bit about complaining. Maybe it was a lot about complaining. But if you just watch your lips during the day, think about what you're saying. See if there are five times during the day that we're complaining about something that's the responsibility of somebody else. We just say, this should work better. Why is this this way? Uh, I've driven over a couple of potholes on Buford Highway and had a few thoughts in my mind about whether they should be there. You know, who's not taking care of these things? But the Lord can change a complaining heart and make it a heart of joy and praise where it's a praise, a, a thanksgiving heart to the Lord. And in Psalm 100, it says actually to come before his presence, that the two keys to come before his presence are praise and thanksgiving to enter into his presence with praise and thanksgiving. And for people that know the Lord, they know that's how you enter his presence. You don't tell him all the things that aren't working out right, but you thank him for who he is because we don't see what he's working. And in our weakness, he puts strength. And at times that we would say, I'd rather not go this way, he knows exactly where he's guiding us. But the one thing the Lord does call of us is the same thing he called of Abraham, he says, I want you to come not knowing what tomorrow brings. I want you to come not knowing the task I'm going to give you to do, but only knowing that I'll be with you. You know, when Moses was supposed to go tell the Pharaoh to let the people go, Moses concentrated on his natural talents. And he complained back to the Lord and said, Lord, I can't go talk to the Pharaoh. I'm not a public speaker. And, uh, you know, the Lord could have said, yeah, you're right. You're not a public speaker. Maybe we'll just give you four or five courses and pick you up a bit and make sure you're adequately prepared before you face the Pharaoh. But that's not what the Lord did. The Lord just said to Moses, essentially, that's OK. I'll be there. I'll be there. Now, he didn't tell Moses, I'll be there and I'm going to execute plan A. And plan A has these 10 steps. So now that you know the 10 steps, you can relax because now you know the 10 steps that are going to happen. But God didn't do that with Moses and he doesn't do that with us. He calls us and says, what I'm calling you to do is to walk with me. And my promise is I will be with you. And that's the great promise, not I'm going to lay out to you the 10 steps because the 10 steps themselves have no power apart from the Lord. And yet we would take strength in our knowledge and say, oh, I can see how those 10 steps would probably do it. So now I feel comforted. But that's not a real comfort. The real comfort is that God is there. The real comfort is that he is there and that he will be there tomorrow and today and this afternoon and an hour from now. So Jesus is introducing the father to us that way. He came and took away sin so that we would know the Father that way. He came so that we would see the Father in his richness. And in John 17, 3, it says to know the Father and the Son is eternal life. And that knowing of the Father then not only brings comfort in times of difficulty and mourning, but it brings purpose and it brings life and it brings gladness and it brings love in our heart. And I want to close on this one thing. The, another thing we have to be careful of in these days is that with a complaining heart, there is a lot of tendency, especially in the world today, 
to categorize people and to put them into buckets and say the problems that I'm having are due to these people that are in this bucket. And we tend to complain about different people rather than getting underneath them and praying for them. You know, the Bible says in Romans 5 that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were slapping him in the face, he died for us. He prayed while he was on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The heart of the Lord is that we not judge and condemn others, but that we get underneath others just the way that Jesus gets underneath us. For the Bible says in Matthew, he came not to be served, but to serve. And he sent us out the same way. And this is in such stark contrast to the world. If you turn on the news, you will find one group of people saying, this other group of people is so bad because they do this, this, and this. And if you turn to another channel, you'll find another group of people saying, this group of people are so bad because they do this and this and this. And Jesus said, he, he literally said in Matthew, judge not lest ye be judged. And that word means, when, when we have the word judge in the Bible, it can either mean to discern or to condemn. And that word means condemn. Condemn not lest you be condemned. For as you mete out judgment, it will be met out to you. And the scripture says that it's not for us to be going around and complaining and saying this group is wrong and this group is wrong. But Jesus said you're to be the light of the world that gets underneath the problems and shows my nature, shows my love and compassion and shows me in situations so that you are praying for your enemies so that you are moving to make right what is wrong because you are showing me to the world. And yet there's a tremendous spirit of the enemy that goes wrong that's a spirit of divisiveness. It's one of the reasons that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. But there's a spirit of divisiveness that the enemy sows that just says, what's ever wrong, we can find another group to blame it on, and that's the reason things are wrong. And that's not God at all. God is calling us to get underneath and to pray for all people and to pray for their benefit, to pray that they will know the Lord and the Lord will be glorified. And the only way to break that divisive spirit and that complaining attitude is for the presence of the Lord to be in our lives. So God is always calling us saying, let Jesus come through. Let Jesus be alive in you that the, the rest of the world may see it. Show the world the way Jesus is. And we can do it because he strengthens us. In Galatians 3.3, it says, Paul says, Oh, Galatians, you see, I just marvel. How is it that you began with the Spirit of God, and now you think you're going to reach perfection in the flesh? You see, the Spirit of God began in us to form us after Jesus, and the Spirit of God will continue in us to form us into the likeness of Christ. So the likeness of Christ will be alive within us and bless the world. So I just want to summarize by saying difficult times, we're very aware of the shallowness of the things that we thought would bring us peace and contentment. And we're very aware that there's only real peace and contentment in the Lord. And the Lord works within us in our difficult situations so we can see in our weakness, He's strong. And even though we might not want to feel weak, it's a good thing for us to feel weak so we can know His strength. And in addition to that, He comes to us and says, look, I don't want you to be a complaining people. That was one of the hallmarks that he said of the children of Israel in the wilderness, that all they did was complain. All they did was complain. They were a stiff.
stiff-necked people, and they always were complaining. But God's calling us not to be a complaining people, but to be a people that's yielded unto him so his grace and nature can be revealed to the world to lift the whole world in every place it is. So I'd rather not have COVID, but God's working through COVID. I'd rather not have difficulties in life, but God works through difficulties in life. Andre Crouch one time wrote in a song, if I never had a problem, I would never know that God could solve them. His hand is not short. His hand extends out to us. And he's calling us right now to be his light in this time, in this hour. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've made us for now. You have made us to be in this situation. We ask that where we need comfort, you be our comfort. Where we're not close to you, you make the barrier clear that we can tear it down. And Lord, we pray for our world and everyone in it. From top to bottom, left to right, east to west, north to south. We ask that your spirit, Lord, stir hearts that people see what's fake and flimsy and lying and turn away from those things and see the truth and the depth that is in you. Please don't let us have any excuses. But Lord, let us give to you what is rightfully yours, which is all of ourself. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.